The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. On round two today, Deb Hutton is here, former advisor to two Ontario premiers, teacher Michelle Morrow, also a People's Voice Award winner, and Bob Richardson is here, senior counsel at National Public Relations. And uh, let me actually start with uh, one of the political stories, obviously, we're covering today is the aftermath of the NDP convention. Um, Bob, I'll start with you on this one. I really think it's um, splitting hairs to insist that um, the fact that that Jugmeet Singh's approval rating has gone from 90% to 81%, that we can read very much into that at all. I think he's still in control. 100% he's still in control. And quite frankly, uh, I think it's a good showing uh, by uh, any account at 80%. This is a very tough uh, environment right now. He's also involved in supporting an unpopular government. Uh, but, you know, he's getting things done for his party on dental care, on pharma care, etc. So uh, if I got 80% in this political env- uh, environment, I'd take it and I'd run. Yeah, I guess there's a certain, I've used the expression intellectual purity, and I'll come to you, Deb Hutton. The NDP are going to be able to take credit for getting certain agenda items pushed through, but I don't think they're positioning themselves for the next election very well. No, not at all. So a couple of things on this. First of all, in conservative circles, 81% would be cause for the bubbly to break out. Like that is high <laughs> for conservatives. Um, but, th- but there is a drop. There's no doubt a 10% drop amongst his members. So he has to be feeling that the la- the next election, whenever that comes, is probably his last shot. If he can't uh, both broaden the base of the NDP, but also in very numeric terms, up his number of seats. My issue with him signing, and I still call it the accord, whatever he calls it, supply and whatever motion. I've never but understood it, it's, it's that an ac- phrase, yeah. No, it's, a, it's an accord, right? It's an agreement that you're going to prop up the government in exchange for A, B, and C, biggest one being uh, farmer care. And the issue I have, if, if he's successful, which I believe he is certainly well along the path for that without setting any new standards uh, in the next number of weeks and months, is he's not going to get the credit for it within the Canadian people. It may help him within his party to show that he's done something, but you're not going to vote for the guy that forced it. You're going to vote for the guy who brought it in if, in fact, that's your issue. So I agree with you, John. I don't think he has done anything to show absolute strength, and he's propping up an incredibly unpopular government. If not for Jagmeet Jagmeet Singh, he would... Uh, we would have an election. And for all those of us who want to get rid of Trudeau, he's what's standing between us and that. And Michelle, I always find NDP leaders interesting because they're often very compelling figures, but they never seem to be the prime minister in waiting. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I look back to Tommy Mulcair and I love him. I think he's a great, I think he's a great leader. I wish that there more could have been done in the time when he was the leader. And um, looking at the numbers, the same thing, I I have to echo what Deb said, 81%. I was like, wow, that's really amazing. But looking at how far he's dropped, maybe this is a sign that um, it can only get worse from here, as horrible as that sounds, but maybe there'll be a a shakeup after the next election. I don't think it's necessarily on the table here in Canada. It just isn't a very Canadian thing to do. But in France, they've banned (laughs) pro-Palestinian anti-Israeli rallies. Uh, Let me actually come back to you, Michelle, on this one. Um, Okay, there have been some ugly things at some of these rallies here in Toronto and Mississauga and elsewhere, but I'm not for banning public protest. 
No, I, I definitely agree with that. There, as long as protests remain safe and don't become violent, absolutely. Um, sometimes people need uh, an outlet to feel as though they're doing something. There's not much that we can do on the ground as regular citizens here in Canada. So allowing people to protest, again, safely, non-violently, is a way that we can feel we are supporting um, an action that is happening or fighting against an action that is happening on the other side of the world. And As long as they remain... Oh, sorry, go yeah, ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. <laughs> and as long as they remain as such, then I, I don't see a problem with them. Yes, they are an inconvenience, and yes, people hate having to divert around them, but people... We still support free speech. Deb Hutton, I said I'm not for banning protests, and I just know somebody's going to text in and say, what about the convoy? Yeah, yeah, that wasn't a protest. That was a siege. An occupation is what I refer yeah. to it as, John. Um, so I, I'm with Michelle. It is it is uh, it is part of uh, the freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms we want to protect here, as long as it does not boil into uh, inconveniencing other people in a very significant way, and is not fraught with hate. And and we have rules about hate crimes in this in this country, and those rules should be followed. The only thing I will say is that. I don't think it does the Palestinians any good to be doing it at this time. What what seems to not be part of their thinking is that the retaliation by Israel was not to another foreign entity. It is to a terrorist attack. And that is what makes this different. And so if I were advising, I would not be protesting. Because as I said, I don't think it helps them in the broader public. <laughs> I don't think they're hiring consultants, though. <laughs> Bob Richardson, your thoughts. Uh, I, I live at Avenue Road in Bloor, so I'm at ground zero for protests. So there's probably nobody who wants to ban protests more than me. But at the end of the day, uh, we need uh, we need to be mature, rational Democrats at this time. Uh, we have rules in place that need to be followed, but people should be allowed to express their feelings. Does Toronto need a traffic czar? And Bob, I'll start with you, because again, you do live in the core and you probably have to dodge around whenever you're even as a pedestrian. Um, but we were talking with Jamie Watt earlier in the show, and he said, we need absolute guidance and decision making. And the complete and utter chaos that prevails in this town cannot continue. Well, it, it sort of feels uh, uh, everything old is new again. We've talked about this uh, a bunch of different times. We do need a, a czar, and I, I read Jamie's column, which is uh, which was you know lays out some of the problems. But the real problem here is is construction, and we're not getting our our, uh, our projects done quickly in a timely fashion and in an efficient fashion. Sometimes they sit there for weeks unmanned, and, and sometimes there's blockages of first streets that that are left sitting there for days and days. Those sort of things need to be much better managed. And if it takes a czar to do it, bring them in. But they should be they should be doing that on a regular basis in the city now. It shouldn't take uh, the appointment of somebody to get that done. Deb Hutton, I don't know, maybe we need AI, but it just seems to me, I don't do a lot of driving in the core, and I do it outside of rush hour, but almost every single day I'll take a corner and all of a sudden it's Pylon City. Yeah, and, and Bob's right. This is about construction, which we all should be supporting. It's just there's some common sense that's missing in this. So if if your construction zone is not active, then we need to start finding these companies and making sure that, that 
you know, here's your permit for this period of time. You're working it or you lose it kind of thing. Secondly, while it doesn't, it doesn't solve the big problem of certain streets being shut down, we have to crack down on the drivers that are, and the delivery vans that are parking in rush hour, that are stopping to get their coffee at eight o'clock in the morning and taking out an additional lane. Like there are some little fixes that we can do, the blocking the box stuff, up those fines, up the sort of uh, enforcement of those things so that we're not making it worse. Because I do support a construction, whether it's transit, whether it's roads, whether it's it's housing, but don't make it worse by having all of these little things pile on. Michelle Morrow, it just always seems, I, I suspect that the debate at City Hall, because they said they were going to hold weekly meetings and try to end this kind of a mess in the downtown. But a lot of the time it's like, well, that project has to happen. So we've closed down Queen Street in order to construct the cross, or not the cross town, but the Ontario line. And then because of that, we need to refurbish tracks on another street, Adelaide. So Adelaide's under construction. The King Street pilot continues. Richmond has closed lanes and on and on it goes. It's confusing just to listen to that list. It's it's so frustrating to think that I, I feel so in Toronto, we wait for things to happen as opposed to being proactive. So we wait until the very last minute that we can actually put some um, steel toes on the ground and get things moving. I wish that we had someone in charge who was like, okay, we built this X amount of years ago. We need to maintain it. So let's check it at the 5, 10, 15 year mark, as opposed to waiting until something completely breaks down and then we have to fix it. And then, like you said, we discover other things that have then fallen apart on the way. And then that's what causes the the blockade. And I thought we had a a czar, a construction or a traffic czar, and I'm really disappointed to hear we don't. No, actually, it was uh, John Tory had said he was going to chair meetings. He insists that he has. But like I said, said, every single day I find something new to vex me, and I don't drive all that much. Um, City of Toronto will provide an update on Cafe TO. Uh, Let me come back to Deb Hutton to start this one off. I guess it's a little late for us to be offering advice to uh, Mayor Chow, but perhaps we can. I think it was a worthy endeavor, but as Robert Turner has dubbed it, dying in the gutter TO never quite made it. (laughs) Listen, I used it a ton during COVID, so I will never crap on the project. I do think going forward, uh, we do need to support vibrant streets around uh, patios and some of those things. So many of our regulations in the city are overly restrictive, and that's what I liked about Cafe TVTO initially. It allowed people to get onto the streets quickly at a time when we needed those those additional spaces. I actually like encouraging outdoor patios. Uh, I think it makes for a better city, but let's put some common sense rules around them in terms of being able to, you know, take out Young Street for a restaurant, one of my pet peeves, that only operates from seven till three. And yet the the street is out of commission uh, for the whole day. So let's do it. Let's let's put some good rules in place. But really, I think continue the, the program. Yeah, Michelle, I would agree entirely with what Deb just said. I love you know, sidewalk dining, but let's do it where it works and not try to shoehorn it in on sidewalks where it does not belong. Yeah, absolutely. I I hate that I'm saying it needs more regulation. <laughs> but that's what I feel like. I think as long as we did it in a very smart fashion, it would work. And maybe it would encourage someone like me who's outside the city to come downtown. Because right now, I just feel like I, I, I feel like it's a bit of a mess. It's not very well laid out for people who are not Torontonians. And if we had um, a more clearer path, then I think it would help bring more people in. Yeah, Bob Richardson, I think it was done right in quite a few spots. For example, we talked a long time ago with the guy who runs the company that makes those wooden, basically like Lego pieces, where you can assemble a wall. 
But when it was, you know, a bunch of orange bollards with police tape, it was not an attractive venue. Hundred percent right. That uh, look, we we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. It's generally uh, a good idea, but it needs, uh, dare I say it, common sense. Um, I'm not sure that we need restaurants on Young, uh, across from the Eaton Centre, in traffic jams with uh, with uh, uh, pollution everywhere, um, uh, uh, blocking the street. That that doesn't make any sense. So I think we need to clean those up, and I think it also needs to be aesthetically good looking. If you're putting out, uh, if you're just doing it and putting up, uh, uh, you know, the orange uh, uh, bollards, forget it. You shouldn't be in the program. Okay, 60 seconds. So a quick go around, I guess. There's an interesting profile in the National Post about margarine versus buttered. Uh, are there any margarine people on the panel, Michelle? Oh, yeah. I eat our margarine all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's not butter. Is like a staple in my house. My grandfather had it when he was growing up, and it's now what I go to. I do use butter for baking, but I am a big margarine fan. And reading the article, I was like, oh, I'm totally seeing how this sausage is made, and I don't know how I feel. <laughs> well, Deb Hutton, I remember in Quebec, um, they were compelled to dye margarine, so it looked like craft dinner, and nobody ate it. So unfortunately, I'm with Michelle on this one, and I was hoping we'd run out of time, so I didn't have to say that we. I so for us, it's the base cell. I can't. It's not. I can't believe it's not butter. It's like buttery something or other. I started with soy margarine. I, I don't know. I think maybe this has convinced me I should switch it out. Okay. And Bob, uh, butter margarine. Who knew this would be such a vivid discussion? Shame on shame on those two. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a butter person. Uh, I, I, although I had margarine at home 30 or 35 years ago, my mother used to get it, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not on the menu for me. And it's, uh, I, I always viewed it as a slightly uh, exotic and strange. <laughs> strange. Yes. Exotic. I'm not convinced, but thank you all. <laughs> Michelle Morrow, Deb Hutton and Bob Richardson. Catch the round table round one at 7:45. round two at 8:45. weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.